Welcome to the Cannabis Connection. I'm Christopher Carr. Man, it's good to be alive. Hope you had a beautiful week. Thank you for tuning in to Santa Cruz Cannabis Talk Radio. My guest tonight is Will Grinnell. He is a music industry veteran of more than four decades. He founded his own management, booking, and event agency, Origins Music International, in 1992. At that time, he went on the road as tour manager with many of the artists on his roster and thereby cemented relationships with artists and promoters alike. Will is a longtime agent and tour manager for Lee Scratch Perry Big Ups, the upsetter. May he rest in peace and word, sound, and power. Give thanks for your musical contributions to all of posterity, all the future generations in dub. Since moving to the Northwest to Maui with Will, his family, he moved his family in 2010. He has closed the booking agency side of Origins Music International to follow his 45-year passion of cannabis farming. He became active in the cannabis industry, founding a cannabis genetic research and production company, Sticky Fingers Seeds, and helped co-found Deep Green Agency, a cannabis advisory firm. He then developed Deep Green Genetics as a department of Deep Green Agency. He's also co-founded the Maui Cannabis Guild and serves as president. The Maui Cannabis Guild is a 501c nonprofit cannabis law reform and legalization advocacy and activist organization. He's also an honored to be on a team with the partner with the Earth Dance Global and is inspired to co-manifest more events with the talented Earth Dance team. I'm very, very much... Lots of love and, and respect, and have been watching the, the amazing gatherings of Earth Dance over the years. And as a player of music myself, it would be wonderful to, to reignite and, and see a renaissance in these gatherings in this post-COVID-19 era. He, here's a quote by Will. He's always, I've always felt a strong need for the music industry and cannabis to unify and bring dynamic synergy for a better world. And now here we are. It's happening. Welcome to the Cannabis Connection, Will. It's an honor to have you on the show. Hey, Chris. It's an honor to be here, and thank you for having me. And a big aloha to Santa Cruz and the entire community out there. And it's one of my faves. Yes, Santa Cruz Massive represent. I'm, I'm sure they're all dancing in their cars or in their respective rooms or in the, in the garden. It's possible <laughs> it's that time of year where it's kind of nice to get outside when it's cooler and check on the girls. They're stacking. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, you, I was listening to that amazing weather forecast uh, as we were coming in, and um, the fog is rolling in. I bet that just brings out all kinds of different expressions. That's right. Yeah, it's nice to see a little bit of swings. And for those terpenes and the different, you know, the flora, the, the compounds to really express themselves and some color, too, with, with things, you know, going from hot to cold and, and bringing out the, the full genetic expression. I'm very excited to talk to, to you about some of this, too, and would love to just hear some of your roots. How did this... Uh, sacred plant coming to your life can you give us just a little bit of that 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 fun origin story yeah yeah actually i grew up in the northeast um and so i was in massachusetts uh at the time and um you know really until i moved here 11 years ago or so that where i was based was in new hampshire in particular um, up in the mountains wow. there, and that's where nice. I did a lot, a lot, a lot of farming in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Gosh, we're getting old. Wow. Um, so, um, so it started. It started early for me. I, I first started smoking at nine. You know, I had an I had an older sister, you know, Woodstock, you know, all that stuff, and an older hippie sister, and um, like 10 years older. So. It became visible to me right around then, and I sort of asserted myself by blackmailing my sister, saying, "I'm telling mom and dad, unless you, you know, <laughs> let me have some." <laughs> and uh, boy, did they let me have some! <laughs> by any means necessary. Really, <laughs> yeah, I got really stoned my first time, and I'm just wow. no turning back. It was just, you know, felt it was pure medicine from the beginning. Um, but you know, I really didn't start smoking every day, and and 
you know, making sure, like, first thing you think about in the morning is, like, how much weed do I have for today, you know? <laughs> Am I all set? I didn't really start that process until about 12. So from, from 12 on, it was, you know, buzz to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Would you remember back in the day when you were farming in the Northeast with these – uh, when you say farming, do you remember some of the cultivars way back? You know the varieties. Or, oh man! Or just I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, you know now more than ever I flash back to it all because you know of course genetics is everything and yes, you know, it, yes, with these overbred you know wedding cakes or whatever and zittles and stuff. And, and no disrespect, those are amazing crosses, um, but there's just nothing. Oh man, you know like and. By the late 70s, um, actually by the mid-70s, we figured out, like, Afghanis and stuff like that, what would work. Because if we were taking, uh, you know, we got a lot of Jamaican and Colombian and, and Central American weed, and um, that didn't do so well, uh, it wouldn't flower in time. You know, Yeah, such long flowering you know, photo period herb. Yeah. So, you know, at first, you know, if we were just growing, you know, seed weed or bag seed weed, um, it, it didn't work. So it took a couple of years to figure that out. And again, having an older sister and um, her friends traveling, like you know, in India and Afghanistan in the day and so forth, that's where I got my first really good genetics. You know, from um, her boyfriend back in the day, and he had been in Ladakh and Afghanistan. So I really don't know where it was from, but it was the first thing that really clicked. And that's um, you, you know, again with. The small community. Remember back then, we were so secretive with all this. Very scary really times. Small. Yeah. Yeah. You know, small groups of us that were, you know, talking with each other about growing and so forth. And, um, you know, didn't know anything about genetics or anything. But we did figure it out pretty quickly just from farming mentality that we better duplicate this strain that just worked this year. So with the seeds that we have for next year, you know, let's let's figure this out. And we we've been coached at that point again by you know the older hippies. We love those older hippies. And um, now I'm an older ex hippie or whatever you want to call it. Sure. Um, a recovering hippie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. So for sure. Um, but you know, so we were told about the male and the female and stuff, and that you know, it's just instant and so simple. It was like one plus one is two. This is what you do. You keep that lineage, and you're going to do okay. So by the time I was 12, I had that figured out with the help of you know some wiser ones. Wow! What a, and so what there a journey. we were in New England, you know, growing uh, totally gorilla style. But you know, I, I grew up in the country, um, so that was easy. We figured that out pretty quick. Um, did a lot of wetlands grows and stuff like that. And pretty much by the time, you know, a few years later, um, by the late 70s, you know, we were doing some pretty good poles. I mean, back then to grow 50 pounds was just incredible, you know, with one partner. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. And and you're with the wetlands, are you kind of dry farming? Can you speak to that a bit? You're just trying to tap in no, into the water? It, it, it's the opposite. Um, you know, we grow different ways, um, but just growing out in fields, out in the wild was risky because of hunters, right? Sure, so, they'd stumble on a patch. Yeah, and, and again, you'd want to have that strain finished by the middle of September because that's you know, hunting season started, then bird season, and I think um, quite a few different things. So there was a lot of really big, vast wetlands where I grew up. And, you know, like a little stream would go through kind of thing with, um, a quarter mile either side of swampland, you know, that kind of old stream growth or uh, development. And um, so we'd go in with hip waders and take these dirt bags. Um, and, and even back in the early 80s, they had Promix. I remember we were using uh, something like Promix and taking it out dry. You know, wow. Handle the race. Sure. And then making these burlap bag, you know, sort of like what nurseries use for trees. Um, root balls and flipping them upside down and so where the tie-off was was a wick that would go down into the water and we'd put them on hummocks so in a lot of wetlands we have a thing that's called a hummock which is like that sort of just pop-up mound you know randomly all around the place 
And we rigged up a few wetlands like that. And one year, just you could call it by default, holy shit, the weather was perfect. Everything was perfect. Things took off. And it was pretty funny. <laughs> a wick. That's so the earth, so the, it'll use it like a straw and just pull the water in when it needed it. To some extent, yeah. Wow. Yeah, For, you, you just monitor Nature I mean, finds a way. no irrigation or anything like that. And, you know, we were surrounded by water. So in, you know, August and so forth, when it did get pretty dry and the mud was um, a lot more firm, we, we still had, you know, access to the stream. Fascinating. Wow, what a cool, cool journey back in that, in those interesting times. Uh, and, the, and that tie the with the Woodstock and all that, the genetics from, from the kin, from the the boyfriends. I mean, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I was saying when you asked me at first, I, I look back on this a lot now and just thinking about the stuff. Cause in the early 80s in New Hampshire, that you know, there's our little mini community that we got together and we helped each other with our um, getting out into national forests and stuff to do our grows. And um, we didn't know things by name back then. You know, these days, is, you know, are we, even back, you know, the original train wreck or the original skunks and um, the, the sour D's and stuff like that. That was more like 80s into 90s. So early 80s, we just did it by region. So one of our favorites, I was just talking to my um, one of my best friends about this, and, um, you know, Don Green, we call him back east, because he's one of the best growers. He's, you know, in his mid-60s now and um, still going at it good. But um, what I was getting at is, is there was a strain back then we simply called Killington, because the dude that we got the seeds from grew his stuff over, you know, the slopes of Killington mountain in, in Vermont. And here we were, you know, an hour or so away in New Hampshire. Um, and it just crushed it. It was such a great cross. Wow. That's nice. And, it's like um, code. Yeah, man. And, and one reason I bring this up is because this is a very typical story of what happened to a lot of our, you know, old heritage strains from the day. So, um, as I mentioned, a lot of times we do our own crosses and make a cross, but that year or even a couple of years, because this person was so reliable with his seeds and had it down, right? You know, he grew his thing, and every year he did his seed crop separate, and it was just, you know, spectacular. So we're just, you know, waiting on him. Well, gee, someone hit a deer, reported it to Fish and Game, an injured animal. Fish and Game went in the woods, and guess what they found? Well, they found the deer eventually, but they found, this, my, you know, our friend's weed. Yeah. You know? Raided his cabin, took all his shit. There, that was the end. They took his seeds and everything. So, you know, sort of a lesson learned there. But this, with some of the best genetics I can think of from back in the day, that was sort of a similar story. With what happened, you know, we, we didn't have that, you know, fancy name for it. We just called it what it was from the region that we knew it from. I love and, it. Um, I love it. It's, yeah, it's also a, a, a re, you know, a lesson learned testimony to share. I know it was tricky, but this is the beauty of growing from seed is there's a way to hold on to these special, the work that works, right? That's kind of what you were sharing in the Chillington. Uh, it's it's good even in these days to, to rekindle that, that connection of, of if something is special, it's nice to share it around because heaven forbid if you lose something. And, and now it's different. It's not fish and game rating. It could be a wildfire. I've had two years in a row of evacuations and grabbing seeds on the way out. And sometimes, you know, you can forget things if you're evacuated or, you know, have, heaven forbid there's these these emergencies that seem to happen as a result of climate change or, or, or whatever can happen in life. It's nice to make sure that you spread the love and have those genetics out in the world with your with your people. You can get it back later. Yeah, big time. You know, and this definitely um, sort of accelerated what became something, you know, I'm doing now is breeding. You know, that that was nice. a lesson learned at that point. So when we found, you know, it took a couple of years really to find something that was as groovy and just seamless. You know, we knew exactly what to expect from it and so forth. So, yeah, that definitely got all of us to pay attention a little more with cooperating with each other on doing our breeding which had to be, you know, very select and, and separate from our Cincy. Yeah, um, of course. So, so we had, yeah. Speak to the transition or the the progression. I imagine 
growing specifically in the Northeast. Very cool, very interesting. It's a really nice perspective. I'm very fascinated in the old gorilla grows. It's very important to remember these were serious times, serious prohibition. Things got worse, too, with in the 80s with Ronald Reagan and the Just Say No uh, era. So so big ups, much love and respect, massive respect for keeping the the sacred beans alive and keeping the flower uh, alive and, and thriving domestically because there was a lot of imports too. So yeah. it's nice to have the homegrown. Very, very, very important, very cool. I love that part of your story. Yeah, and massive big ups to the, you know the unfortunate um, events that happened along the way, and the people that didn't make it you know as smoothly yeah. got arrested. You know, so right. got totally screwed up. And then for you know that was a lot of our friends, um, and, you know, including just ridiculous stuff like out in the national forest where they literally put game cameras in the trees, and you know it was like a setup. And then these guys drop out, you know, full military, drop out of the trees, repelling and stuff. And to them, it's like fun, you know? Yes. It's so, perverse. you know, that was going on a lot, in, in the, especially the late 80s um, back in the Northeast, that they were really going after weed in a, in a, a terrible way. I mean, everywhere, right? You know? Everywhere. Yeah, I mean, camp and, yeah. The National massive. Guard was doing, you know, those big sweeps out in California. That's right. The The campaign against marijuana production or growing right. yeah terrible ptsd still still generations of growers legally paying taxes that are the children of of those of those unfortunate you're so right the the victims of this drug war that we're still seeing oh. it's unraveling and there's some interesting shifts but there's still a lot mm-hmm. here that is needing to be addressed and that's another piece of the puzzle, too, is the advocacy, the education. That's why we're here every Friday, and we love to hear your story and the stories of so many that lived through this time. We're having a generation come to fruition, come to their launch into the society post-prohibition. It's interesting that there will be people that engage with cannabis, love cannabis, steward it, do right by the plant that may not know these t- these days no prohibition uh but we yeah. need, we stand on the shoulders of giants and we do need to pay our respects and and acknowledge the history that was very a very dark unfortunate start with uh Engslinger and all these you know from the 30s to the late 90s into the early 2000s and and now in the aughts of of 2016 here in California we we have Proposition 64, which is also a very challenging era that we're living in with, with, with the, the commodification and the corporatization of this industry. Right. It's a really sad thing because I love that you have this, your roots also in music and performance and gatherings and being a musician is a labor of love. It's, it's a vocation, a calling in many ways, farming and, and being in a deep connection to cannabis, also this cannabis connection we speak of, is a calling. It's it's a special vocation. It's something that is really sacred. And when you bring in the brands and the investment and the capital and this 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 corporatization of something that is is it's unfortunate. We've seen things happen in the music industry too that have with the advent of the internet and. And the you know the change the whole Napster era and all that that we've been through yeah. and, and now these and festivals. And the Live Nation takeover too was very disappointing to, to see so many independent promoters that had such a well-established scene. You know, Lion Share of them go back to like promoting Janis Joplin shows and wow. in the last 15 years or so they got all most of them absorbed by Live Nation. You know, not by choice they just got cornered into to doing that. So. Yeah, the corporate feel um, definitely um, spread some some new and bad energy in the music industry. But the music industry has a long history of good and bad and some hairy, you know, business handlings. But um, it's it's unfortunate to see how 64 turned out. You know, I mean, I know the original intention was to sunset in these larger grows and allow the family grows and the, the people who 
you know, forge this industry to, you know, establish themselves for three to five years. So that was a great disappointment. And pretty much my observation is, you know, that 64 is a complete failure. Agreed. Unfortunately, it's a cautionary. We've had so many out people on the outside looking in, journalists, writers, commentators that are more traditional media personalities, professionals, um, speak to the pattern of watching, for example, Oklahoma's kind of another polar opposite to what happened. That's our poster child. Yeah, in many ways. That's right. Um, Or Oregon was better to some extent. And there's just uh, California is such a an example a lot happens here that makes waves for the rest of the country and it's such a disappointment that it was a cautionary tale of almost what not to do and we're still here struggling we're still in an interesting political climate too with this recall and and understanding what's going down with right. with with, with the right. politics here and how it overlaps and then of course the the pandemic uh, and the price per pound this year is just really troubling. We've been in these volatile markets of, of ups and downs and sometimes getting less than what you need or what you hoped for. But at this point, it's just about survival and it's become a trend. Right. You're, you're so right. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big, big issue and it's good to, to open the dialogue. I mean, there's no easy solution here. We just need to keep coming together. I know you have experience with organizing a bit in uh, the Maui Cannabis Guild. And what, yeah, yeah, what's going was, on there? Uh, yeah, well, uh, we have family in Pukalani, oh, wow. and it's just like, yeah, I was always curious about the islands. Um, unfortunately, it's a mess as far as the cannabis industry goes here, or the lack of cannabis industry. And that's one reason four years ago we founded the Maui Cannabis Guild, um, myself and um, five other activists um, to go out as an ag- advocacy group, and we did. We made a lot of a lot of headway. Um, you know, we were meeting with the senators. We wrote up a legislative bill. Actually, a version of it did make it on the floor two years ago. Uh, we were just a little ahead of our time, especially for Hawaii. Um, it's a, it's a very old agriculturally. Politically oriented, if that makes any sense, we're sort of still the politics out here is still very controlled by the old corporate ag mentality, which is that sugarcane, um, pineapple. Um, they're the biggest, still the biggest landowners on the island, even though both crops have not been produced here on the island for many years now. Um, sugarcane, more recently, of three years maybe um, stopped. So. It was a tough battle because of the corruption. There was already a very um, monopolized, a, a vert- we'll call it vertical uh, system out here with the medical uh, for the dispensaries, which took 20 years to actually initiate. Before that, it was just, you know, you get your cards and grow, and that's it. There was no, no trail or no legislative plan or anything for dispensaries. And now there is, and they're owned very corporately. Um, it took about three. You had to put 1.2 million dollars in escrow with the county wow. um, to apply, just to even open up a to permit, apply. you know, Jeez. process. And this yes. is back, you know, a few years ago when they did that. So, at any rate, you know, they're failing um, because there's only that one owner on the island, and you know, each island has its one owner. Um, actually, Oahu has three. But all the same, it's a really bad system for them and a terrible system for the community here, um, especially when we have one of the best opportunities in the cannabis industry out here with just the, the sim- simplicity that's in front of us, which is agricultural legacy and branding and the ability to be able to grow a AAA product out in the sun. Right? Yes, yes. So with those three ingredients, you know, I, I see the future of the cannabis industry really being the triangle, much respect to the triangle, and, and Hawaii being the two top brands when you're over in a store in Europe or Russia or, you know, wherever. Cause, you know, it's going to be very global very soon. Correct. And, um, gosh, imagine that, you know, how, how um, strong of an economy we could have by – using those very simple things that we have right in front of us here. Well, you know, try explaining that to the lawmakers here, and 
they, they've seen the, da the data. They, they've seen the results. You know, they can even look at the Colorado model. It's all good, right? You know, this, and, and the thing is, we have the luxury of sort of cutting and pasting what was, you know, good and what was bad and throwing out the bad and making the perfect, you know, legislative design out here with clemency and economic development and small business entry fees, you know, all that stuff that stimulates a large uh, industry. And that's why I sort of uh, quipped out, you know, Oklahoma being our poster child. For us out here in Hawaii, where we're still in the Stone Age when it comes to the cannabis industry, looking at what happened in Oklahoma is brilliant because it's sort of self-initiated. And now there's 11,000 LLC registered businesses, and they're functioning. They aren't, you know, out competing each other and so forth. So far, it's working, and it's sort of weird. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> But it's working, and, and it worked because of the light regulation. They have no plant count numbers. I, I think the entry fee is $500, and, you know, if that was allowed here to stimulate an industry, you know, and of course you need regulation at some point, but very light, you know, compliance, I think, should be the only regulation to get into the market. Is You know, don't put all this stuff on the farmers and the compliance checks and the abatements and all that. No, the, the farmers taxes. don't deserve that. No one deserves it. But when it gets into the legal and the business market, there's a funnel, and at that funnel, it's tested just you know for pesticides and the normal stuff, right? Make sure it's safe, and then um, it's it's on the market. That's it. That's where the, the metric could start. Right. I, be, I believe in That's, that. I believe in that. Almost a provisional. I've always had the philosophy since it is farming to keep it in, in a provisional way, a very uh, generous permissive approach and if there was an issue then you revoke that that privilege but to enable everyone an, an opportunity to rekindle that connection with the earth and and make sure it's safe i agree like the key things in in testing not so much to where we are right now where it's you know parts per million of, of some a little yeah. bit of something that maybe fell from the sky during a wildfire 30 miles away and that your whole batch fails, that would be really disappointing. But just in enabling farmers to farm in, in, in areas yeah. that have this tradition, I completely think that would have – and we we are learning. We're learning. This is This is very new. And policy – I've had a lot of policy experts come on the show too and say that they're, it's responsive. Things can change. Things can be re revisited and rewritten, and hopefully we can still maintain our connection, our identity, our unity of, of advocating for that change. And, and if something's not working, we need to make that voice heard and organized. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, we're pushing it out here in Hawaii, but like I said, it's been a very uh, tough, tough battle, and it's we're up against some really big lobbyists, um, that we need to compete with basically financially, and that's where we sort of came to a, not a standstill, but certainly slowed down. Um, so if any of your listeners want to come out here and help us kick some ass, we just need to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, come join one of the top uh, brands in the world. You know, I really think that farmers out here can keep a high price or price that makes sense, you know, the yeah. survival prices with having one of the more recognized brands in the world, which, you know, we could be if we were allowed to market ourselves. Amen. Here, here. I would add, yeah. instead of two top brands, I would add three, because Santa Cruz, I was in the Czech Republic, and I saw the Santa Cruz dot, and if we had that in cannabis for the all of the world. It, it, it's true. We are the yeah. we are a massive brand. We're, we're a piece of that Emerald Triangle, even though we're here on the Central Coast, because we are home of the haze. Yeah, no, I agree. And no disrespect by just, uh, you know, pulling the triangle aside. But it's because um, I've smoked such great grass from all over California, and especially Santa Cruz Mountains, because you do yeah, get those special. cold evenings. We do. Yeah, unique terroir. We do have the second smallest county in, in the whole state, yet may, the Arboretum at UCSC has plants from every continent all over the world where we have this mm -hmm. Mediterranean climate and such unique unique yeah rugged summit sunny spots to these really loamy rich uh you look at the grape growers we have some really interesting opportunities really op really interesting history of 
of innovating in agriculture, the Chadwick Gardens at UCSC, and a lot of the back to the land philosophy and this regenerative agriculture renaissance has deep roots here and we continue to keep that alive. It's important. We we need to. It's part of our cultural heritage. In many ways the CCOF language and the principles came from the farmers in the 70s here in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And yes, cannabis here is very much a part of what built all of the <laughs> all the venues. Moe's Alley, Catalyst, this is all brown paper bag herb built with the mm-hmm. community connection. The cannabis connection is felt through the roots here all over this special place. And would love to see that continue. It's challenging. All politics are local. We really do see... Uh, there will be a, a, an opportunity to support local farmers. There's a bit of a, not to get off topic, but there is a bit of a, a struggle happening locally with uh, Zach Friend, the District 2 supervisors, trying to make it really difficult. They're rezoning where people can operate in solidarity with Bird Valley Organics and Lifted Farms, and Coastal Sun, all these groups that we love and, and have had on the show uh, we, we need to organize the people to come out on, on September 14th and and be a part of that public comment, pe- you know, that opportunity to speak directly to the Board of Supervisors so they don't change it because it will put 80% of those that are legal out of business with just this change right. in zoning. And that's something that we see. It's not unique to Santa Cruz. This is every county yeah. having these troubles. It's just, it's just such a bummer. It's an ongoing struggle with educating our leaders. And I've always been an outspoken supporter of cannabis stakeholders running for local office. I think that's one of the key things mm-hmm. in order to, in yeah. order to really see change. Yeah, and, and like you mentioned, it is pretty much all a lot of the counties in California, especially. And I, I'm seeing it all over the country because, you know, as um, being part of the Maui Cannabis Guild, uh, I try to educate myself and all the other legislative bills and, and movements and, and, you know, amendments and whatever's happening. Um, and I have been following that in California. And basically they're just trying to herd the farmers, the family farmers and everyone that pioneered this industry um, out, you know, unless they can find an agricultural zone or a large enough land parcel to fit into the zoning, um, they're out. So that's, that's something that really I'm glad you guys are taking action against it because it's, that's really important. It is. It's so important and it happens so quietly. That's the other thing. We need to stay engaged, stay, stay vigilant. Uh, it's, 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 it's all, it's it's ongoing. It's never it's never a dull moment in in, in working with this plant. It's 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 a blessing because you're rooted to the cycles and you can, when farming and and yardening and connecting and breeding and br- bringing life to this earth, you really feel rooted in in this state of bliss. But then there's all these other layers to this work and uh, this part is is a really crucial part because it's so new and it's fluid and we need to stay involved i, I do want to speak though i, I am a, a bass player i do love we've been a band since 2010 we've been touring i i have a lot of love for the the performance and, and entertainment industry and and it is another piece of my heart piece of my life's work and would love to hear about your work with 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 managing that and the role cannabis had had with that and then also pay a little respects and and hear a little bit about your work with lee scratch perry okay i know it's a lot i know that was a lot but (laughs) this is open i want to bring that up yeah um yeah i I mean I, i was lucky i never thought that i would be in the music industry um, you know, actively, you know, and that happened pretty much by the early 90s. Um, and I just happened to, and it was through Jamaica because, you know, I, I lived in Jamaica um, quite a bit seasonally for about four or five months every year um, from 1979 until uh, basically 93. Um, and so my very first artist that I worked with was Meditations. And Somehow we met in Jamaica and this, that, and the other. And it was really my sister. Um, again, she helped me with the very beginning of this industry. Cool sister. Um, with her, <laughs> with her, you know, it, was, it was her friend. 
Yeah. It was like, you know, can you, can you get a gig going in Boston kind of thing? And, you know, we just happened to be going to the Western Front regularly anyways, and the other, you know, few places in town, the channel, I think it was, that, you know, were doing shows. And um, got lucky. Yeah, the promoter jumped on it. And next thing you know, we we're, you know, organizing a show. Um, you know, so that over the years, you know, by 92, I had the honor of working and having on my roster, you know, guys like LKJ, um, otherwise known as Linton Quasey Johnson, um, much respect, um, with Dennis Bovell and the dub band. Um, Lee Scratch Perry came in around 93, and then Mad Professor, and then I got tied in with the whole English uh, circuit, um, Steve Barrow and Blood and Fire, and um, of course Adrian Sherwood and On You Sound. And that was my first really big um, tour was Dub Syndicate um, with On wow, You Sound. Very and cool. So, so, you know, that was the first one where I really dove in and I booked like a 40 date tour and we got a tour bus and you know, went out and did it. And of course, you know, I was a new kid on the block at the time, so every other artist was checking out the shows it was doing and, and well, hey, you know, you know, they were working, you know, there was only a few of us back then doing reggae. And so people wanted to try working with me. And um, it came a point by the mid-90s that I was, you know, jokingly called the kingpin of reggae. Um, wow. You know, with Fascinating. Yeah, you know, Blacker Guru. I'm trying to think, you know, if you named the reggae band, they probably were on the roster. And most of them were long-term relationships. The lion's share of them were. Um Gosh, oh, Scatolites, God, I love them to pieces. They were yeah. Work. And I think there's one surviving member now, Roland. Yeah. So those were the days. I'm um, really thankful for them all. And, um, I think, like you mentioned in the intro, I ended up going, a lot of these artists um, didn't really have management. So you know, all of a sudden I ended up wearing that hat. And that became a department. And then, of course, when the tours would come around, organizing, we had a good set of friends that we'd go out and help with tour managing. But a lot of times, especially when, like, the Hawaii gigs and stuff popped up, I'd be like, oh, I'll tour manage, you know. <laughs> there you go. And, um, <laughs> ended up, you know, getting caught in that quite a bit, too, which was, you know, interesting because most agents didn't go out and tour manage. Sure. And if there was ever a situation which there was very few, but, you know, in the music business, there's always something pops up. And if there was ever a situation in the, um, during the, the gig, um, being the agent there in, you know, person was sort of a dangerous thing because that was sort of always a padding in between the tour manager, you know, and having the agent like back in New York. And it's like, well, all right, we'll call him in the morning and see what's up. You know, but there sure. are, you get the like, heat right, instantly, you know? no buffer, oh, <laughs> shots yeah. fired you know, right there, there point old, blank. <laughs> yeah, so there was an old joke back in the days, like, what's the difference of a tour manager and a toilet? My experiences with going out on the road and stuff is I made my best friends. You know, Warren Smith from Sierra Nevada World Music Festival. Um, I, you know, I mentioned his name because he passed away this um, past year and a half, and he was just one of the, the really passionate and, and kind people in the music industry. Wow. And um, so friends like that along the way, I've made so many lifetime close friends from the industry. And now we're all in the cannabis industry together in a lot of Fascinating. ways. Fascinating. Earth Dance team is all, you know, going that direction. Um, you know, Earth Dance being the founders of Deep Green when they did their thing in um, Richmond, um, the Deep Green Festival back Oh, gosh, you know, like 2010 in that era. Speak to that. Let's go a little deeper there because I, I, I do see a pattern there as well, and I think it's special because there are the the Warren Smith energy coming into those new operators and, and brands in some ways. And, 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 and hopefully, too, the I've been a part of little festivals in the – Sierra Nevada foothills and Sacramento and Oroville and then all over the Bay Area and in Santa Cruz Mountains and 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 would love to see that official. It's still in its infancy, but emerging of of cannabis with the actual you know intention of Emerald Cup. I guess is a good example because it is a but it is an Emerald Triangle. You know, cannabis award ceremony. I've been honored to, to judge, but they have great music typically. And but I'd love to hear yeah. about your insight with like Earth Dance and Deep Green and 
your progression too, kind of transitioning into the music industry. I mean, I'm sorry, the cannabis industry from music to yeah, cannabis. All right. Um, well, you know, speaking of Tim Blake is definitely, um, one to look up to. He's an amazing person. Yeah. You know, what he's done him. with, you know, from a backyard barbecue at area 101. That's to, right. In Laytonville to the whole Santa Rosa fairgrounds is pretty, pretty, pretty special. Pretty amazing. All right, well, we're going to get you back. It sounds like I'm, I'm here. You're good. There you go. Yeah, we got quiet for a second. Okay. We're all good. Go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, Tim, working with him is always a pleasure. The first time was in 2010 in his backyard, and um, I was the agent and manager at that time for Gowdy. Who's a, oh, yeah, uh, the Italian. DJ. He's great. Gowdy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Italian electronic artist, and um, he's spectacular, I and mean, he's one of the an amazing producer and so forth. But um, so that uh, was my first exposure to the Emerald Cup, and it's just spectacular watching the progression from there on in. And I know Tim is taking it out of the triangle. He's t- he wants to bring the brand down to L.A. And, and sort of expose that market to the outdoor culture. Yes, yes, that's a big um, move. It's a big shift. I hear yeah. That. Yes. Fascinating. Yeah, it's it's important think about the market i mean there's such a concentration of people there's such a appreciation of fine cannabis and i think it is a bit of a learning curve to to bring some of that sun grown what, what to what you said earlier in the conversation too like bringing such quality kind herbs to the world developing these these positive feedback feedback loops for family farms in these areas these these world renowned brands of of craft cannabis and staying aligned with ecological ways of, of cultivation and propagation and stewardship, i.e. sun. The sun is the most powerful light source we could ever yeah. ask for. And no matter what, the innovations in the LEDs and all this stuff happening all over in the industry, I still think that spectrum and that love and that life force coming from mm-hmm. a seedling to the from seed to to the flower, the finished end product is is very important. That's the other piece too. I want to emphasize is growing, growing from seed. We did have Nat of Humboldt Seed Company last week, and we we spoke to the benefits of clone and seed. And I still mm-hmm. have a lot of love for the cuts, the legendary varieties, and the consistency that can be achieved, and and how things have have hybridized and you know evolved in potency. But I do think kind of what you spoke of too with the afghanis and working what works and deepening that relationship with with the idea of terroir and and growing from you know that first tap root that first sprout is uh very special and long term we should really continue to deepen that relationship with growing from seed in this in the full term in the full sun although there are these other mm-hmm. fascinating new varietals that are short flowering like the auto flowers we spoke to that a bit last uh yeah. last week but yeah i'd love to hear your feedback on on genetics and developing these these lines especially i'm curious about have you worked with any special er- heritage varieties from the hawaiian islands and in that journey i know you have other people too that you work with as far as breeders that also have roots in, mm-hmm. in maui yeah definitely um so you know, Maui Wowie is the obvious, and it pretty it doesn't exist unless it's in some uncle's drawer. <laughs> sure, yeah. You know, from at least 1980 or before, it's just really not going to, it's not happening. And that's because of either cross-pollinating, you know, these are, these are islands, so pollen travels, a lot of people grow weed, so the chances of it being crossed um, and sort of canceled out that way. But also, we had an enormous, enormous eradication um, program going for years, um, starting in the 90s and right through the 2000s, and it was just a gridding, a really aggressive gridding. And you know, they finished the job. If there was a Maui Wowie, they finished it. I, I have been lucky enough to be working with a Hawaiian strain um, that goes back at least 45 years without much crossing. There's been two pollen. Um, 
encounters with this plant that any, everyone knows of at least over the past 45 or more years. And so really lucky to work with that one. And I simply call it the Hawaiian, Hawaiian dream and it's a, a sativa dominant. And, um, I lion's share of what I do with sticky finger seeds, which is my personal breeding company. Uh, I do different crosses with that one, um, with that female parent plant. And, um, you know, I've tried everyone under the sun, all the, all the great breeders out there that we could name, but I'm sure we know. And, um, probably some pretty good crosses with that one. Amazing crosses, and the stability is is so solid. Um, but that's the closest thing to a real, you know, heritage strain that can be traced back that far. Um, you know, I'm really good friends with the, the Sour D family and the Chemdog family, and they just finished doing a whole tissue culture thing to stabilize what was 35 year old plants that they had um, that were sort of losing it. Um, so. I'm, Looking forward to seeing how that comes out as well. But I'm a real sock drawer seed fan. Um, I would go that direction over some of the more, you know, trendy and current crosses if, um, if I had to utilize so much space and say, well, you know, I only have this much space. What do I do with it? Um, I would put the seeds from a sock drawer that, you know, someone said were at least 20 or 30 years old and try that first. There you go. Yeah. Experience it. Yeah, but you know, I'm I'm a sucker for all seeds. <laughs> I, mean, it's just, I, I always say, "Oh God, I'm done now. I've, I've started them all." You know, no, no, no. You know, it keeps I'm just going. Powder. Yeah, and yeah, of course. I just, you know, what was it? The the new moon was just a few days ago, and it's crazy. You know, <laughs> paper towels everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the other piece too. Growing out in, you can grow year round. Is that right? You have to do a little light assist. Yeah. But speak to that. Yeah, I don't think people locally in Santa Cruz realize you can you can keep popping beans where you are in Maui. Oh, oh man, it's amazing. Um, I mean, certainly summer is our productive. We have two cycles in the summer that you know the tomatoes or anything here. It's just you know that's when you're going to really see the the results. But um, we can do six cycles a year wow. if you don't really take a day off, and then five cycles is is pretty much the norm. So yes, it's a flowering environment outside at all given points. Um, we do not reach that past 13 hours and whatever it is where the plant triggers. We can I get see. a little stretching in June on sativas, but other than that, you know, no light depth needed. Light supplement, obviously, is what we do because we do all our vegging outside in the greenhouse under the sun. And then just like actually my lights just came on now a little early, but they'll be on until 1 o'clock tonight. And then, you know, so it puts them into a 12-18 cycle, basically. And just to be clear, your lights are, they're not like the full-on Gavitas. This is just supplementing. You're just keeping them awake till one to get a little these extra. Are, yeah. These are clamp shop lights with the LED in them. Um, awesome. Just keeping them awake. Yeah. Just keeping them awake. A lot of people here flicker. A lot of growers I know here flicker, which is, you know, the five minutes on every three hours. I don't because a lot of my parent plants are in the garden, too, and I use those for breeding. So I want the 1218 in their in their DNA. Yes. Um, yes. You know, so the grower in Maine can pop the beans and do good with them, and an indoor grower can pop them and you know do excellent. It's, it's just in the DNA. I love it. I love it. And then they just bounce out of that greenhouse and will do their flowering because you're in that perpetual cycle with the photo period around 13 hours. That's awesome, and it's pretty yeah, well, temperate. It gets down to ten and a half hours though, like in December, right? And that's course, interesting. We get some, like some of the strawberry coughs and some of those lineages can finish. Like we've harvested them in a little over five weeks and gotten good turps. Wow! Um, wow! Saying, really encouraging this kind of behavior, but it can happen. You know, in that one little slice, your daylight is ten and a half hours. Wow, amazing! Is there is there like an heirloom of sticky feeds, or sticky seeds, uh, sticky finger seeds, like or not an heirloom, like a flagship? Is there one that's really close and dear, near and dear to your heart? I mean, they're like children. You love, you love them all equally, but there's just for a I, I, for, I for a all, new um, for someone new, yeah. The Hawaiian dream, of course, you know that being our our parent plant and our legacy plant. Um, the Maui Macgillaglu, which came out as a, just a great glue cross but one that's sort of newer to our lineage is the maui true blood 
And this is a cross that goes, it involves Bodhi's uh, dragon blood. Oh, um, Bodhi's. Very, very nice, nice cross. And it's a fun plant because it does that red sap. You know, the really, when you leave, like you'll blood. see you'll see the blood. Wow, red sap yeah, at least. Totally. Fascinating. It's, it's, totally. And um, I mean, it's blood red. It really is striking. So that's fun. But the best part about it is it's so good. I love it, and it finishes in you know just under eight weeks. Can you speak to the lineage for our listeners so that they'll go pick some up? Uh, what, what's the cross of the Maui True Blood? You mentioned the Bodhi piece, but I'd just love to hear that. Um, and the other cross is simply with the Hawaiian Dream parent lineage. They get the old sativa from Hawaii here. Wow, and that Hawaiian Dream is just the old Hawaiian sativas. Yeah. Wow, so that's a special one. I love the Maui True Blood because it has a little bit of. Bodhi, which is a Santa Cruz breeder with your work. It's, right. that, it's that union. That's Check it out, folks. Check it out. Yeah. You heard it here first. I love that. And, <laughs> and, and very important, a, a, an amazing breeder, breeder Julie, um, from House of Orange Boston is what they call themselves. And they also have Emerald Masters. Um, but, you know, big ups to her because she, I couldn't have had this lineage without her because she did the final cross with the Bodhi cross before I crossed it. And um, I for- hopefully she'll forgive me because I can't remember what her uh, lineage was and her heritage plant. But she's got some amazing heritages that go back. And, again, that's House of Orange Boston with um, Emerald Masters. Emerald Masters. Right Very cool. I appreciate that. I, right I appreciate on. hearing from, from breeders, too, about other people that have helped because it helps. That's kind of how we connected was through nat speaking about right we, we had nat. a caller yeah it's so special we had a caller from maui asking nat questions nat name dropped and now it's kind of following mm-hmm. the next indicated thing the, the the cosmic stewardship of of this ongoing mission of building community and cannabis i love it and we're hey will i just wanted to say thank give thanks man for 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 coming on i mean we're just feel like i'm just warming up but we're at the very top of the hour and i don't want us to get cut off we have a sharp cut off right at the nine o'clock so i want to give you the last word right and, and thank you again it's uh, been a pleasure this has been a great show well thank you and aloha and, and it's been it's fun you know i, I like it's going so down memory much fun yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well and you're still at it i mean your lights came on as we're talking and we're still taking care of these new, new you got your paper towels going you got those beans popping that's what it's all about oh boy yeah yeah exciting times uh, excellent and and so thank you and we'll we'll keep in touch when you come to santa cruz hit a brother up we'll go out in the ocean we'll go fishing can't wait man that's actually one of i think i mentioned to you before that's on our hit list my wife and i to take some time there so i can't wait oh come and on likewise, come out come out here to maui we, we love having folks Oh, we'd love that. Yeah, we have some cousins. We got some family out there. So big up, Santa Cruz. Stay up. Have a beautiful weekend. Thank you, Will. You've been listening to The Cannabis Connection.